morning, church. Well, that was okay. We're going to do that again. Some of you haven't had enough caffeine. Good morning, church. It's it's like Pavlov's dogs. I've just got to train you to salivate when I ring the bell, you know. Um, Past few days, uh, you know, especially the latter part of my week, I immersed myself in sermon prep. And this week I've had the opportunity to kind of go back to some of the foundational building blocks of Emmaus Road, even back to the pre-planting days. We had a core team in my living room every Sunday night for 18 months before we ever launched this church in in a public worship service. And um, yeah, it's not that I had forgotten these things necessarily. They're always in the back of my mind, but they were brought back to the foreground Uh, once more this past week, and especially this one value that we talked about a lot in the early days and that we still hold. But I I want to delineate it for you once again this morning because um, I think there are probably a handful of you that are newer to Emmaus Road. You probably haven't heard this as much. And so this might even be the first time you're hearing these core values. But both our name as a church, Emmaus Road, and our values, our five values, come from Luke chapter 24. Now, Luke chapter 24 is that that chapter. It's the morning after the resurrection of Jesus. And these two disciples, we don't know their names in the text. They are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, which is why it's called the Emmaus Road. And, And as they're journeying, they're having a conversation because they're not really totally clear about what's happened. There's a report of a resurrection of Jesus. They, don't, they haven't seen him. They've heard this. They're walking, they're journeying, and they're talking together. And as they're walking and talking, a complete stranger begins to walk with them. And when you read the text, you find out that it's Jesus incognito. And he begins to talk to them And he begins to explain to them why all these things had to take place. Now, this has got to be the greatest single Bible study in the history of the world. And I would give anything for the audio just to be able to listen to what Jesus said to these two disciples. It's an incredible passage. And and on our timeline in the Harmony of the Gospels, it's probably going to be a whole other year before we even get to that that place in the gospel. So I would just invite you to go home and read that today, Luke chapter 24. Um, it's an incredible passage. But the five core values that we extrapolated from that chapter that became the foundation of Emmaus Road Church are the following. The centrality of the gospel. The gospel is the centerpiece of all that we are and all that we do. It has to be. Number two is unashamed evangelism. We're not going to be a people who, who are ashamed about telling others about Jesus Christ. That's our mission. Number three, the teaching of the Word. It's so important that as a church, we ground all of our teaching in God's Word, not man's best thoughts about God. Number four is the intensity of community. And if you're part of one of our life groups, you know what that's like. You know what it's like to be with a group of people every week in a smaller setting and to share life and to laugh with each other and to cry with each other and to pray for one another. So those are the four. And then the fifth one is this. And this was my favorite. My favorite. It's called 
the inconvenience of ministry. Because ministry, I mean, let's face it, it's rarely convenient. I mean, real ministry, not the stuff that you plan, the stuff that goes wrong. The, the situations where you, and, and I was in campus ministry for a long time, so for me, like, I have very, very vivid memories of many phone calls at 3 a.m. from college students who'd done some dumb thing and were in trouble and needed help. All right, so it's, it's inconvenient. Ministry is inconvenient. In fact, I talked about this so much in the early days, even before we moved out to Washington State. I, I can remember talking about this and the kids hearing me talk about this. In fact, um, I was, I think it was on a phone call one afternoon and, and, or talking to a student, talking to somebody in a church. I, I can't remember the context exactly, but I, I just remember they, they were going through some stuff and having a hard time, and I was just laboring with them in prayer on the phone. And, and, I, and I hung up that phone, and you know you have that deep sigh after a phone call like that or a conversation like that. And from the hallway, just down, I heard the little voice of a little girl who's sitting, where are you, my dear? There she is, back in the back. She was not that big at that time. But I heard this little voice come down the hallway. Dad, ministry's inconvenient. I'm like, man, she's right. She's right. And that's the value I want us to focus on this morning. Not only is the Lord Jesus the giver of the word where we find these concepts, he's the embodiment of these values. And he models for us how to engage with people in different situations, in different settings. And so we take our cues from the master. And as such, Jesus tests us at times. I don't know if you know this, but some of the encounters you've had with people, some of the moments of frustration that you've dealt with in your life have been tests from Jesus. He tests our resolve. He tests our faith. And this is an important element of our walk because we're prone whether you like it or not, whether you admit it or not, we're, we're all prone to both spiritual laziness and spiritual apathy. I don't know and I don't care, right? That's, that's, it, it, God's desire for us is that we would stay alert. We would stay awake. Our hearts would be ready. Our hearts would be excited to share the gospel or to minister to someone in need because that's an opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And he knows that in this world, we face opposition. So he put the Holy Spirit in each one of us who have come to faith in him. And so even though ministry can be very much inconvenient and difficult at times, I want you to know it's also a high calling. And, and we're priests. In fact, the scripture says, if you're a born again Christian, you're a priest of God most high. And we're, we're priests. And, and so that's an incredible honor to be a priest of God and a born-again child of God. And, and so keep that in mind this morning as we go to this text uh, in, in Matthew. So today we're going to be in Matthew and Mark, and they're side, side by side, these passages. So let's do that now. So if, if you have a harmony of the gospel and you're reading from your harmony, this is section 112 to 114. But if you're just reading from a paper Bible or your electronic Bible, we're going to start in Matthew 15 verse 21. So I'm going to read Matthew's take and then Mark's take, and we'll just take them in chunks and go down the line, okay? <coughs> Excuse me. Matthew 15, 21 to 28. 
And Jesus went away from there. And he withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged, begged him, saying, Send her away. She's crying out after us. He answered, not to them, to her. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and she knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus answered her, oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. I love this passage. Mark, here's, here's Mark's telling. Mark chapter 7, 24 to 30. And from there he arose and he went away into the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered the house and did not want anyone to know that he was there, yet he, he couldn't be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. What is, what is going on here? Jesus has retreated from the religious leaders in Israel after the, this last pointed confrontation we talked about last week over the traditions of men, how the, the religious leaders had elevated the traditions of men over and above the word of God, right? And so they've, they've kind of left town to get out of town, get a little breathing space. And the Jewish religious leaders are really angry because they're embarrassed by the encounter they just had with him. He just, he flipped it on their, they, he flipped them up on their heads and made them look silly. And, and they, they hate that. They hate that. So he's seeking an opportunity for private instruction with his disciples as he's just trying to lay low for a little bit and let things blow over. And so they've crossed over into the area of Tyre and Sidon. That is a Gentile region. It's not part of Israel. It's a, it's a place uh, which is it's actually a Canaanite region. Now, if you know your Old Testament, you'll remember who the Canaanites were. And that's where they're going. Like, things are so bad in Israel, you've got to go over to the Canaanites to get some rest. That's not good, right? Tyre and Sidon are port cities located in modern Lebanon on the Mediterranean coast. Tyre was the main seaport of the Roman province of Syria and Phoenicia. And this was a really, really prosperous city filled with pagan temples. And it had twin harbors built on either side of a small island. And again, inhabited by the Canaanites, one of the ancient enemies of Israel. So it's, it's in this context that this Gentile woman comes to Jesus seeking help. And, and so she had all but lost hope for her child because of this demon 
who had overtaken her. And now her hope is renewed because of Jesus's reputation and his proximity. He's in the area and, and his reputation has preceded him and his power is well known even in the Canaanite region. And we see that she's very persistent about this. She's very persistent. Her little girl is demonized. And we've talked about this before too, right? Most people just say possessed, but, but it's a spectrum, right? So let me just take a minute. Um, you're, your person, you have a physical reality, your body, but you have an immaterial reality, which is your spirit. And, and your spirit inhabits this body, right? And, and so it's just like um, you can, uh, drug use, uh, occult practices, mystic arts, some of these things, what they do is they begin to open a gap between your physical person and your spirit. And into that gap, other entities can insert themselves. This is what happens. And so it's a spectrum of, uh, in the Greek would be demonizomai. It's, it's a spectrum of influence at first to the, to the point of being controlled. Your body's being controlled by another entity and you have no control. So think of it as a spectrum of, of being demonized. And so this is the reality here. Um, and so this little girl's demonized and the mom has learned, and we don't know how she learned, but that Jesus is in the area and, and she knows that he can teal, heal her daughter with simply a touch or even just a word. He doesn't even have to see her. He doesn't have to be in the room with her. He's nearby. Her hope is renewed. And, there's, and listen, moms, you know this. There's nothing more persistent than a mama bear with a little one who needs help. Don't stand in the way of mama bear. So now Matthew records, she calls, she calls on Jesus. I love this. She calls him the son of David. What is a Syrophoenician Canaanite woman doing calling Jesus the son of David? That's a Jewish term. David was a Jewish king. She's done her homework. She's very theologically astute, and especially for someone who's not even Jewish. She comes and falls at his feet. She pleads for his help. And at this point, the text indicates Jesus uh, has left the house that he was in. He's moving on. And she has come and put herself in his path. Again, Mama Bear coming on behalf of her little baby. She's, she's getting in the way. You know, you're not leaving town till, till you talk to me. I got, a, I got a thing you need to help me with. This woman is, here's, here's your new vocabulary word this week, importunate. She is importunate. That is an adjective. It means urgent or persistent in solicitation, sometimes annoyingly so. And those of you that chuckled, you know, you've been importunate or somebody's been importunate with you. You're like, oh yeah, I remember. I remember what that's like. She's so determined. She's so determined. She comes to Jesus He's hiding out from the religious leaders of Israel. He's just trying to get some, some breathing space. And she comes to him in that context, and she's so determined. And then, and then Jesus doesn't even answer her when she speaks to him the first time. What is he doing? That doesn't seem like Jesus. And, and then the disciples chime in, like requesting that he's just send, just send her away. But she's really, really determined. And Jesus hasn't said no. He hasn't said no. He hasn't said anything. So the absence of refusal is still a possibility, right? You ever been in that place? 
where you you just you, you want the thing, you need the thing, you 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 just I need you to do this for me. I need you to allow this thing to happen. And and they haven't said no, but they haven't said yes. And you're still like, ah, what's going to happen, right? And so we've, we've all experienced circumstances that have seemed overwhelming, made us feel hopeless. But now here's this Gentile woman, and there's still this little glimmer of hope. Jesus speaks, and he tells her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now that's true in its immediate context, though we know, and we've talked about this at length, that through the nation of Israel, all the world will hear the gospel because Israel is chosen by God, not salvifically, but for his use. Israel is the means by which the word of God comes into the world, both the living word, Jesus, and the written word, the Bible. And so this, this is the reality. It's not as if God is neglecting the Gentiles. It's at this period of time in the Gospels, he has been ministering exclusively to Israel, and he's focused on 12 men in particular who are going to be the carriers of the Gospel to the nations once he has ascended back into heaven. And so there's a plan. There's a timing for all these things. But here in this text, Jesus is testing this woman. He's testing her. This whole scene is like a dance between Jesus and the mama bear. When she makes a request, Jesus doesn't even answer. She presses in more. Jesus replies, but in a way that makes Christians really cringe. He implies that she's a dog. And isn't Jesus supposed to be nice? Isn't Jesus supposed to be kind of like Fred Rogers? Like Mr. Ro- isn't he just like Mr. Rogers with a beard? Now this this might sh- some some of the like the younger kids are like Mr. Rogers. That's sad. It's sad that you don't know who Mr. Rogers. Is. This might shock some of you, and I hope it does. Jesus didn't really care so much about niceness. Jesus cares about righteousness. During his three and a half years of ministry, Jesus touched and healed social outcasts. He touched lepers. He defended women who were being criticized by arrogant men and at least one woman who was about to be killed. He inserted himself into that situation. He raised the dead. And he also made a lot of people angry and very uncomfortable, so much so that many of them wanted to kill him as well. Nice people don't make enemies. Jesus wasn't nice. He made a lot of enemies precisely because he cared about righteousness more than anything else. And that's something for us to consider as we walk through this world. He he made a lot of enemies. Back to the Syrophoenician woman, she had persistence. She had, here's your vocabulary word, ready? Chutzpah. She had chutzpah. Just, Just think of the I have several friends. I grew up in a neighborhood with best friends who were Jewish, and their grandfather actually, hey, yeah, you talk like this. It's Yiddish, yeah. Yeah, it, I loved him. I loved him. So that's always, all my mind always goes there whenever I tell you know, Yiddish. It's chutzpah. It means extreme self-confidence or audacity. It, it sounds like paw grape, doesn't it? Doesn't it just sound like paw grape from the Veggie Tales? Man, maybe I need to work on that. Um, so she, she's, it's just, 
she is, she's got chutzpah. She's got this audacity. And, and, and there was a, um, I was reading this week, you know, you do all this research, you read all this stuff. There was a, so put, put a pin in that, the chutzpah. There's, there's a progressive writer um, who wrote about this incident in the Bible back in 2019. Her name was Rachel Held Evans. Progressive, progressive Christian did a ton of damage by her speaking and writing, leading people astray from the true gospel. Um, and I only bring her up because I, w- I want you to hear what she said about this passage. It, it just blows my mind. She's mangling the text of Scripture. But she said, um, when, when she read this particular exchange with Jesus and this uh, Canaanite woman, here's what she said in her book. She said, it's Fear of Jesus's humanity, I think, that keeps us from interpreting the story of the Syrophoenician Canaanite woman as a story, here's here's her take, ready? As a story about a man, Jesus, changing his mind about his racial bias when confronted with the humanity and chutzpah of another person. What? Jesus changed his mind because he was wrong. He was racially biased. Jesus is the maker of heaven and earth. He made all the people. I don't really know like how he could be racially biased. He made all the people. This is progressive Christianity. I'm, I'm trying to introduce little elements of this to you along the way so that you can, you know, you just kind of spot it when it comes up and go, no. No. And, and I, I bring this up because I want you to hear her take on this passage so that you can just get a feel for how progressive Christians mangle the text of Scripture. But um, you, you, heard, you heard me right. The, the, the woman presumed to say that Jesus changed his mind about his racial bias when confronted with another person's humanity. Um, again, like Jesus breathed out the stars. He formed her in her mother's womb. Um, Rachel Held Evans and progressive Christians couldn't be more wrong. It's astounding. But this is this was happening in the church in our day in America. So just be, be aware. Um, to the contrary of that interpretation, I, I believe that this is a wink, wink, nudge, nudge moment between Jesus and the woman, right? She's determined to get help for her little girl. She's a mama bear. Jesus is not unwilling. He's testing her resolve, Okay, is she going to give up easily or is she going to persevere? It's it's like she's determined to live out Psalm 86 in this moment. Listen to what David wrote in Psalm 86. And then as you listen to this, you can just hear this is this is this woman, right? David says, incline your ear to me, O Lord. Answer me. I'm poor and needy. Preserve my life for I'm godly. I love you. Save your servant who trusts you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you I cry out all the day. He he says, gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving and abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. He says, give ear, O Lord, to my prayer and listen to my pleas for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you and you answer me. There's none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you've made shall come out and worship before you, O Lord, and glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I might walk in your truth. Unite, give, me, give me a united heart 
one heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love towards me, and you've delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. How beautiful. When God's people lean upon and go to God daily for our needs and in our unexpected emergencies, how good it is. David admits to being poor and needy. You know what? We should too. We should too. You don't, you don't like your well-managed life is not well-managed. We need the Holy Spirit. And so, so David just admits openly that God's the only one who can do wondrous things and heal and answer prayers. And then he asks Yahweh to teach him and instruct him so that David could walk in God's truth. Would that we would make such a request of him today and every day. Wake up with the thought on our, in our brain and the words on our lips, Lord, teach me your ways today. Teach me to walk in them. And then David wholeheartedly thanks God for all of his blessings and all of his mercy and all of his grace. And we'll be coming back to this idea of being wholehearted in the weeks ahead. It's a new uh, thematic element for us in, in 2023. But what, what, what I'm about to say, I want you to know, what I'm about to say to you did not originate with me. I want you to know that. But when it comes to this thing about, you know, she's, she's being called a dog. There's this whole dog thing going on in the text. People really get bent out of shape because of what Jesus said. Ministries for the dogs. Jesus and his disciples were dog tired from all the ministry they've been doing. They were looking for some downtime. Jesus had been working like a dog. This woman recognized that she, she had the tenacity of a pit bull. She knew all too well that every dog has her day. But before people dog Jesus for the way he used this illustration, they might want to consider that their bark is worse than their bite. And when it comes to that accusation that Jesus was unkind or intolerant, I mean, people get all kind of bent out of shape over Jesus's words, and they're just barking up the wrong tree when it comes to his character. They need to call off the dogs on this one and just let sleeping dogs lie. Okay, I'll stop. I'm moving on, moving on. You know how much fun it is to sit and just like come up with all the dog things you could say at one time. It's just great. And Montana was with me next to my desk. I'm like, you're my inspiration today, Montana. It was great. Jesus is playing to the prevailing social climate in the region when it comes to how Jews saw other ethnic groups. The nation of Israel was God's chosen people. They never stopped reminding everybody around them that they were, but they weren't, again, chosen for salvation as an individual choice between a person and God. They were chosen as the vessel through which God's word would come into the world, right? But within Israel's cultural norm, it was generally expected that a Jewish person would see non-Jews as less than, not being God's chosen people. And Jesus is testing this woman. He's capitalizing on this social norm to see how her heart responds. Jesus is testing her, and she's passing with flying colors. She essentially says, I'll gladly take God's crumbs. I'll gladly take the crumbs that fall from the table if it's the Lord's table. I'll take it. I'll take it. In the desperation and the need, the one making the request, being sincere, Jesus always responds to that. When our requests are sincere, 
He does not always respond the way we think he should, but he always responds. And he especially responds to faith. This woman's faith is demonstrated in so many ways. She came asking. She persisted when he was silent. She reasoned when he spoke. She received the healing of her daughter as mere crumbs of God's awesome power. And she was satisfied. She was satisfied. And so Jesus answered her, woman, great is your faith. Be it done to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. And as a footnote, I'll just add that Jesus' most exuberant expressions regarding the faith of those who are receiving their requests from him You'll look through the, the Gospels. They're both Gentiles. The Syrophoenician woman here in this text and the Roman centurion who asked for the healing of his servant. That's interesting. So let's keep going with the text. We're in section 113. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 29 to 31, Jesus went on from there. And he walked beside the Sea of Galilee and he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking and the crippled healthy and the lame walking and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Keep in mind, these are Gentiles. Mark records it this way, Mark 7, 31 to 37. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon over to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. You remember that place, right? The, the demoniac and the, the ten cities. And so, and they brought to him a man who was deaf and who had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he puts his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, touched his tongue, and then looked up to heaven and sighed and said, Ephrata, that is, be opened. And the man's ears were open, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged him not to tell anyone but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So now we're seeing Jesus perform healings in the region of the Ten Cities again. And, and check out Matthew 15, 31, right? And, and the Gentiles glorified the God of Israel. That's incredible. That's incredible. Because they generally hated the Jews for being stuck-up snobs, like we're God's favorite people and you're not, right? This is the undercurrent of this whole thing. And so look at, look at the list of what kind of people are coming to Jesus. Lame, blind, crippled, mute, many others. Mark records that one man was brought to Jesus. He's deaf. Again, he's got the speech impediment. And now this has got to be the most outrageous and weird way that Jesus ever healed somebody. He took the man aside, puts his fingers in his ears, and then after spitting, touched the man's tongue. Jesus looks up to the Father. He, he sighs the word, Ephrata, be opened. The man's ears are open, his tongue's released, and then Jesus says, hey, by the way, don't tell anybody. Are you kidding me? This deaf guy who couldn't talk good and couldn't hear now speaks clearly. You don't think he's going to go tell people? Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. So Matthew continues on. Matthew and Mark, one more section here. 
Matthew 15, 32 to 38. And Jesus, then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on this crowd because they've been with me now for three days and have had nothing to eat. And I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint along the way. And the disciples said to him, hey, we've been here before, Jesus. We know what you can do. No. Short-term memory loss. What are we going to do, Jesus? What are we going to do? The disciples said, where are we supposed to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said, well, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And then they took up seven baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. Those who ate that this crowd were 4,000 men besides women and children. So just, you know, on average, add one kid and one wife. You got, what, 12,000 people? 12, 12 to 15,000 people or so? Mark's gospel records the same event, Mark 8, 1 through 9. It says, in those days when again a great crowd had gathered, they had nothing to eat. So he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now for three days and have had nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint along the way. And some of them have come from very far away. And his disciples answered him, well, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, well, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them, and he gave them to his disciples, and he set them before the people. And then they set them before the crowd. And, and then the, the, they had the few small fish, and having blessed them, he said uh, that these should also be set before the people. And so they ate, and they were satisfied, and they took up all the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and, and he sent them away. So the, the healings that Jesus has been doing have resulted in a great crowd that's amassed around him and his disciples. And this, this is all in spite of the fact that they're out in the wilderness, okay? But we need to delineate these two mass feedings uh, that happen in the Gospels. We've already previously dealt with the feeding of the 5,000. That's something we already covered. Jesus took five loaves and fish and feeds 5,000 men plus women and children in the, in the text we've already covered many weeks ago. There is a tie-in there, I believe, into the, the five, because there's five loaves, right? The five books of Moses, the Torah. And then what you get at the end of that is 12 baskets left over where they had their fill, which I believe is corresponding to the 12 tribes of Israel. This was a Jewish crowd. It's a Jewish miracle. Five, Moses, books, Torah, five, right? And then, and then 12 baskets left over the 12 tribes of Israel. God's word is enough. It's sufficient. He's, he's giving them what they need. He provides, right? But this is a feeding of 4,000. And these are not Jews. These are Gentiles. And here, there are seven loaves and some fish. And yet, when all the leftovers are collected, we get seven baskets. Now, the number seven corresponds to the creation. It's a number of completion. 
God created for six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. So this is speaking not just to the crowd, but to all of humanity. This is not just the Jewish nation. Both miracles show the provision of the Lord and his love for all people, both Jews and Gentiles. Remember in John chapter 6, just a couple of weeks ago, we said that Jesus proclaimed, I am the bread of life. He's enough for the Jews. He's enough for the Gentiles. And in these miracles, Jesus feeds them with miraculous bread in preparation for the day when he would have his own body broken upon the cross and offer up spiritual and eternal nourishment to all who would call upon his name and put their faith and trust in him. Amen? That's what this is about. That's what this is about. See, God is merciful to all. He is merciful to all that he has made, even sinners. If he weren't merciful to sinners, there wouldn't be any mercy at all because we're all sinners. He's merciful to all. And if we strive to remember this, it will serve us well. It will keep us humble. God's not merciful to me or you because we got in his good graces. I did, I did some stuff for Jesus this week. And he's just like, wow, you blew my mind, man. I was like, can I just you know, treat you to an ice cream sundae this week? It's like, no, no, no. We're serving because of what he's done for us. We worship him because of who he is. This section of the Harmony of the Gospels, Jesus is testing the 12 again in, in sort of the same way. The gospel is going to be much bigger than just Israel. It's going to go global. It's going to be bigger than the surrounding region of the Middle East. It's it's going global. And the apostles need to start thinking bigger than just the region that they've lived in and known all their lives. Jesus is preparing them ever so intentionally for the day when he's going to ascend. And he's going to warn them about this. You'll see this as we go forward. Hey, guys, I'm not always going to be with you. And they're like, what, what, what do you mean? He's warning them. He's, he's preparing them intentionally. He's going to ascend into heaven, and then they are going to be directly responsible for the propagation of the gospel to the known world. And you and I are beneficiaries of their effort in the Spirit. Amen. So, as we wrap up this morning, I want to consider that Jesus imparts two very important lessons for us this morning. Number one is be importunate in prayer. And number two is you need some chutzpah if you're going to carry out the Great Commission. Be importunate in prayer. Persistence pays off. The the Syrophoenician woman would not take no for an answer. She humbled herself at the feet of Jesus for the sake of her daughter, and she didn't give up when Jesus rebuffed her. Her determination, her quickness of mind, it turned what seemed to be rejection around to her advantage. Now, Jesus wasn't rejecting her. He was testing her, right? Jesus actually let her win the argument, sort of. Uh, Though you can rest assured it was willingly on his part, okay? You're not going to outthink Jesus. Uh, But it's the only place in the Bible I can find where Jesus is out-argued. I love it. Jesus will test us at times. He tests our faith. He tests our resolve. We need to come, we, we, we need, and this help, like the help that we need from Jesus, we need it so desperately 
Um, we just need to cry out to him. We cry out for his will to be done in our lives. Listen to me. Like if you're praying for something right now in your life, don't give up after one hour. Pray the second hour. Like press in to pray. Press in to Jesus. Stretch and develop your spiritual muscles. Okay? I prayed for five minutes. It was like nothing happened. Pray some more. Pray some more. I read my Bible last week. Read it again today. Read it more. How often do you eat? Oh, like once a week. On Monday morning at 7. And then, no, you eat all the time. You're like me. Every time I walk through the kitchen, I'm like, oh, oh yeah, food. <laughs> you got to eat the Word. You got to eat the Word. And the character of the one we worship and pray to We've got to remember, he's good, and he's true, and he's righteous. And here's the best part. He loves us. He loves us. That means we can make our requests to him, knowing that he hears us when we pray. And he loves us more perfectly than we are able even to love. We can trust that he delights to give us good gifts and the things that we need to see his will done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is merciful to every one of us. But you need to know and you need to expect that from time to time, Jesus will test you. He will test you. Are you going to persevere? Are you going to persevere? Be importunate in prayer. Bang on the door of heaven. Bang on the door. That's number one. Number two, again, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to come up with some chutzpah, okay? You're gonna have to you're gonna have to think like Grandpa Grape, get a little chutzpah, because believe it or not, Jesus likes that kind of boldness and chutzpah. When he was preaching about prayer, he even told in Luke Luke 18 a story where the hero of the story was a woman with a similarly bold faith. I'm going to just give you the quick paragraph here, Luke, 12, Luke 18, 2 to 8. Jesus said, in a certain city, there was a judge who didn't fear God at all. He didn't respect man. And in that same city was a widow who kept coming to the judge and saying to him, give me justice against my adversary. And the judge refused. But after a while, he said to himself, self, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, but because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so she will not beat me down with her continual coming to me. And the Lord said, hear that. Hear what the unrighteous judge says. He's willing to do something for somebody because he's annoyed. How much more does God love us? God's not annoyed by our asking. He's not annoyed by our praying. He's not annoyed by our importunate prayers constantly. Lord, please. He's not bothered by that. He's so much better than this unrighteous judge. And, the, and then the, the, the whole paragraph wraps up, says, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out night and day? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on the earth? That's for us. 
See, he's asking the question to us, the church, are we going to have faith? Are we going to operate in faith? Are we going to walk in faith? The judge in the parable that Jesus told neither cared one ounce for the widow. He didn't fear God, but it was her chutzpah that got through to him. She was audacious. Jesus had no qualms about breaking the status quo, uh, pointing out people who were doing, saying wrong things, confronting arrogant religious leaders who were hurting the people they were supposed to help. He also didn't care about being politically correct. Many times after healing someone sick, Jesus would say, hey, look, hey, go and sin no more. Stop sinning or something worse is going to happen to you, Right? Jesus stood for the kingdom of heaven. He boldly spoke the truth. He called for repentance and salvation. He urged people to employ forgiveness and to take hope. He came to tell the truth because he is the truth. He came to heal the sick and wounded because he is the great physician. And in all of that, there were times when Jesus said and did things that agitated other people and bothered them and offended their sensibilities. If your goal in life is to avoid those things, Well, number one, I feel sorry for you because you're going to live cloistered, avoiding people, trying to find the only say, only say and do the things that people want you to say and do. That's called people pleasing. He came to, he came to heal the sick and he came to give salvation to mankind. And we can't cloister ourselves and try to please people and serve Jesus. Doesn't mean I'm not hey, listen, I'm not telling you to be jerks for Jesus. That's like way other end of the spectrum. Okay. I know like don't go to Westboro Baptist Church. Don't don't, don't do any of that. Like, no. But there's there's a place where we we'd say, okay, I'm gonna obey God, and if it upsets somebody, I'm I have to be okay with that. I'm gonna say the hard thing because I love this person, and they may not want to hear it, but I'm gonna say it in love. We gotta do that. And remember where we started this morning. Embracing the inconvenience of ministry. This fifth of our five values comes again out of Luke 24. It's the one that's the hardest in the flesh. But if we're going to walk in the footsteps of Messiah, we've got to learn to lean into ministry and the inconvenience that it often brings, which is completely necessary. Our Lord Jesus is the embodiment of these values and especially the patience and love that are needed to embrace the inconvenience of ministry. So as our Lord and Master, Jesus tests us at times. He tests our faith. He tests our resolve. And this is an important element in our walk with him because we're prone to spiritual laziness. We're prone to spiritual apathy. So the last thing I'll say is this. J.S. Baxter said this, quote, Men may spurn our appeals, reject our message, oppose our arguments, and despise our persons, but they are helpless against our prayers. You could be the most hated person in our town, and your prayers still have an impact on people who dislike you. We can't stop praying. We can't give up prayer. Be importunate in prayer. Develop a healthy chutzpah when it comes to prayer, and make Jesus known. That's the mission. Let's do that right now. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your example. 
Well, we want to be like you. In fact, you and your word tell us that we should want to be like you. And we should work to become like you. We should develop the same mindset that you have. We should have the same attitude as Christ Jesus, who being in flesh did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took on the form of a servant and humbled himself. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to do that today. We'd humble ourselves. We'd look for ways to serve our community, serve the people around us, bless them and love them and speak the truth to them, which is a blessing, even though some people in our world don't see it that way. Lord, I pray that you would just move in our hearts and, and stir us up to love and good deeds in these days. We trust you for all these things. You are good. We love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Centrality of the gospel, unashamed evangelism, teaching the word, intensity of community, and the inconvenience of ministry. Those are our values. And Jesus will test us at times. He tests our faith. He tests our resolve. Are we going to follow through? Are we going to yield to Jesus? Don't give up after praying for one hour. Pray for two. Don't give up because you shared the gospel with your neighbor once. Find a way to love them practically and talk about Jesus again. The worship of Jesus is obedience to Jesus. So go from this, fl- this place.